0: Okay, so um, the uh, title of my talk this evening is Keep Coming Back. Um, I like to uh, use themes each month that kind of relate to either the steps or uh, something recovery-oriented. And I thought for January keep coming back was a good place to start um, as we start through this cycle uh, both calendar cycle and uh, and class cycle shall we say um, and it's a, a phrase that I use actually when I sign my books these days uh, I often write keep coming back to the breath uh, as a little play on words or ideas, and, and it is indeed something that uh, besides being said at the end of most uh, 12-step meetings, it's also a phrase that you will often hear when you are listening to meditation instructions. At some point, the teacher will often say, just keep coming back to your breath. It's such a key idea and as I was reflecting on it today, it's so interesting to me how one little phrase can uh, expand out and have so much richness of meaning and I hope I can um, give you some sense of of how I see that and appreciation of that. And, And you may have your own ideas about what this means, I hope you do. But the first thing that I think that, uh, well, the first thing that I'll talk about that that keep coming back evokes is the sense of persistence and the importance of that. That um, we aren't trying to resolve something immediately or in some instant that that, um, as... Jack Kornfield says there is no enlightened retirement (laughs) and as people often say you don't graduate from your 12-step program but that we must persist there's also a sense of renewal and keep coming back and that's what I why I think it particularly applies to the beginning of the calendar year that each moment, each day, each year, we can start again. When people are first learning meditation, they very often have this sense that um, whenever they start to think that they've broken the rules, that they've got, done it wrong. Um, but, the, but the spirit of practice is the spirit of renewal, of starting each moment fresh. That no matter what has happened in the past, what's important is what's happening now. And this is indeed how karma works. There's nothing you can do about your past actions. There's no way you can change that. The only way you can alter your karma is by what you do in this moment. So we're constantly uh, offered that opportunity to renew. keep coming back implies forgiveness. One of my favorite things about keep coming back is the implication of forgiveness. And this is, of course, one of the ideas that uh, is really um, a saving grace for so many people who struggle in their recovery. The idea that people are going to continue to welcome them back, uh, that they are forgiven just automatically, that we understand. That we've been there. Without forgiveness, we are continually accumulating burdens of guilt and shame. I was talking to someone today, and uh, talking about uh, saying that that my wife and I, I, I said we have a kind of a volatile relationship, but. A nice way of putting it, Um, (laughs) and that what has saved us and what has allowed us to stay together for twenty years is is the fact that we forgive each other pretty easily. Um, That um, you know we have our conflicts, but that when they're over, they're over. I was reading um, an article in the New York Times, I believe it was in the Times last week, might have even been the beginning of this week, but it was about uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and it was, uh, yeah. Anyway, I think that's what it was, it could have been on Fresh Air, right? you know, inf- so much information comes, you know, you can't sort it out. I know it wasn't on Gawker, that's all I know, because that's what my wife loves Gawker. Um, And they were saying that one of the symptoms, and this is like they're trying to get at how to help people with PTSD, one of the things they've discovered is that people with uh, post-traumatic stress uh, don't uh, go into REM sleep. REM uh, revolving <coughs> or revolving eye movement, is that? Rapid, Ra- rapid, rapid, rapid eye movement. Yeah. Rapid Rem- eye. Well, I don't know but I always thought that like your eyes were like flipping around when you had REM so I guess and there was also something about like uh, RPMs too you know that I get mixed up and then there's REM of course who was named after REM sleep but I don't know why I would have to ask Michael Stipe in any case rapid eye movements it's nice to have people that know things and embarrass me in public but anyway for being stupid thank you I'll forgive myself and move on So, apparently REM sleep, during REM sleep, one of the things, at least, that happens besides all that rapid eye movement is that the emotions of the previous day are processed and released in some way. So that what happens, if you go through REM sleep, you wake up the next day. You remember everything from the previous day, but the jolt of the emotion is actually removed to whatever extent, to some extent, so that you're able to, to carry on life. You know, because in a way, you can imagine if 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 you weren't able to uh, release the burdens of your days, day's daily emotions, how that might build up. So this is what happens to people who have had trauma, then they, they're not able to release that stuff. So there isn't this uh, natural kind of forgiveness that comes when you fight with your wife. And the next day you remember, actually usually you don't remember like what were we fighting about, right? <laughs> All you people who've ever been in a relationship um, <laughs> You remember the fight, right? Something about it, maybe the end of it, but um, but uh, the fact that you can maybe let go of the emotion, so that you know you don't go, oh, I remember that fight, goddamn, you know, and you kind of the rage takes you over. But that that passes on. You can see how um, difficult that would be to not have that forgiveness. And, And what's also interesting to me is that it implies also that, in a sense. Forgiveness is a biological process that's actually built into us through evolution, that we've evolved a way to, to let go in, in our sleep, no less, you know. <laughs> Great, I think I'll take a nap. <laughs> uh. <laughs> There's, you know, making, make up sex, and you could just have makeup Nap, you know, which are, whichever you prefer. That's all. Depends. At my age, it's usually the nap. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Sad, but so. Along with forgiveness, comes compassion. I always think of forgiveness and compassion as being partners. That we are able to forgive, largely because we have done the same thing. And certainly in 12-step programs, we've definitely done the same thing. If we practice our meditation long enough, we will see ourselves failing at our meditation. I put quotes around that for those who are listening to this on the internet. Failing at our meditation. So many times that eventually we will just realize that it's, you know, it's just foolish to, to blame ourselves for it, that really this is just this isn't my failure. This is what human beings do. They think. They space out. They're pulled by cravings, by aversions. So when we see our own failings, we're able to forgive others who have those failings, hopefully. But we also have this compassion. Compassion to feel with. The kind of Latin uh, derivation passion is, you know, is emotion. Calm is with. So to feel, to feel your, the emotions of someone else, to understand that. So with keep coming back, we have compassion for others who are suffering, who have to keep coming back, who, have, who are struggling in their recovery. And we have compassion for ourselves, equally important. If we only have compassion for others and not for ourselves, then we're, we're um, out of balance and we probably should go to COTA, but, uh or Alan on one of those, I think. Um, So interesting. I've been teaching, uh, as I said, I've been teaching this uh, college course that I teach um, very often in January. St. Mary's College has a Jan term where students take one class for the month and uh, four days a week, two and a half hours a day. And, and many of the classes are um, unusual classes. They have, my, my wife has actually got a travel course she's teaching in Ireland right now. Poor girl. And, uh, And I I teach a class on Buddhism many, many years when they have uh, the need for a class. And um, so this week, one of the things we were doing was the Brahma Viharas, the loving-kindness practices. And one of the things that's very difficult for people to get when they're introduced (laughs) to that practice, and I was seeing this with these college students, was to give loving-kindness to yourself. And there's there can be this idea, oh, isn't that selfish? Uh, or um, you know, I, I um, or or I can't love myself. I'm I'm too flawed. And one of the things that I try to point them to. Is to is kind of stepping away from themselves and seeing themselves as just another human being. Well, it's interesting. They also really struggle. I was reading. I have them write journals about the practice. A lot, a lot of them are really struggling with working with the difficult person. And again, I was kind of trying to point them to the idea of just um, humanity, and and um, the idea that. Uh, You know the Dharma. The Dharma perspective is an impersonal one, and sometimes people kind of feel alienated by that. It feels that there's something uh, cold about that. Oh, that's not self, and it's uh, you know we're letting go of um, identity and and uh, and the idea that the ultimate freedom is to not be reborn. (laughs) Uh, But when we can just think of people as beings, and all people as beings, and just we are one of them, then uh, there's a more natural kind of forgiveness and compassion that that comes. There isn't this kind of uh, hierarchy or gradation of people. And of course, we're gonna have that. It's not that I'm suggesting that you should get to a place where everybody is just equal in your mind, but but what we want to get, I think, in, through our practice, and particularly through Brahma Vihara practice, is to have both this universal perspective of sense of unconditional love and what that means. And and, and allow ourselves, of course, that we're human and still, there's still going to be people we, people we don't like and people that we're passionate about and negative feelings about ourselves and all of that. But to, to also have the more... Uh, Absolute viewpoint that there's really no difference between you and me, uh, and that uh, that we are all equally deserving of love and compassion. So another uh, idea that keep coming back refers to, and and this, in a way, might be the most important. Uh, is intention. Now this is obviously related to persistence, but to make a, a to put a finer point on it, intention is what the Buddha said conditioned the results of our actions. So, he put it very simply at one point. He said, "Intention is karma." So, what he's talking about is that, because the word karma means action, so he, the Buddha liked to play with existing ideas and put his own twist on them, Uh, so uh, the word karma means action, and the law of karma is that actions have results, the law of cause and effect, very simple idea that most people accept. But he kind of takes one step back from that and says that actually what determines the effects isn't just the action, but what you bring to that action. So that even when we keep relapsing, the fact that we are trying to get it together, we're trying to get clean, or are trying to get sober, whatever program we're trying to get into. That fact is really the critical fact. And it is that effort, that desire to get sober, that actually is going to eventually carry us there. One of the things that I've... One of the shifts in my viewpoint about recovery over the years is towards understanding what came before. What came before that morning in June of 1985 when I woke up and said, I'm not going to drink or use drugs anymore. This moment for many of us can seem magical. It can seem like grace. And and many people have very profound uh, turning points in their lives and it can seem to come out of the blue and this is one of the reasons that uh, people can kind of attribute this to a higher power uh, to some external power because it doesn't feel uh, as if our own uh, kind of polluted soul it would have been capable of making that transition that and so and, and in some ways, it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a kind of humility to say it wasn't me. But I've become uh, pretty hardcore in my belief in the law of karma. That is that things only happen through causes. That there aren't magical uh, interventions of... Uh, from some that that are unearned, and this is the critical point, I think that there can if uh, there may be <laughs> powers or forces and even beings in realms that we don't know about that are operating but um but for us to tap into any of that, I believe that it has to be earned in a certain way. And, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's again a tricky word, earned. Uh, so what I, all I mean by it is that we have to have had some intention and taken some actions to make that moment of change happen for that moment of change to happen. That doesn't mean that we were the only ones involved. There may have been others involved like interventionists, you know, uh, or family or um, law enforcement officers. <laughs> uh. But for us to really make the, the change, um, we have to have done something. And, and so one of the, th- the things that I actually encourage people to do in some of my workshops now is to do what I call tracing back recovery, going back and admitting to yourself that you were actually trying you know and look at the ways that you were trying and recognizing that yeah, you failed a lot, but that doesn 't mean you weren 't trying. Uh, most people were struggling uh, and and there are also many who have similar stories to mine where they actually had a a fairly serious effort towards a spiritual practice. There have been a lot of uh, people hanging out in Buddhist communities who were still uh, acting out their dysfunctional behavior uh, before they made that transition. And obviously for me, uh, you know, I used to kind of discount Early in my recovery, I kind of discounted the fact that I'd been meditating for some seven years before I got sober, and sort of, well, I, you know that was diluted, or I wasn't, you know, I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. But whatever, there, why was I doing that? Part of the reason, obviously, was that I wanted something more meaningful in my life. I wanted to figure things out. Um, in a way, I don't think I knew that what I needed to do. Well, I didn't realized that what I needed to do was stop drinking and using. Um, Just as a sort of sideline, this maybe isn't on the theme of keep coming back. Uh, One of the things that I've, uh, one of the ways that I reflect now too uh, uh, is that uh, I'm not sure that I was ever what would be called clinically be diagnosed as an alcoholic. Or even a drug addict but that until I stopped and and I had a lot of problems (laughs) and but I didn't think that that was that and that might not have been my biggest problem the drugs and alcohol but until I stopped those things I couldn't deal with the other problems and today I have a lot of problems because I'm a human being, and that's a really good reason not to start drinking and using again, because I can manage, I can work with my problems, I can deal with them and keep working through them and growing as long as I stay sober. So what, you know, whether that old thing of am I an alcoholic or not, am I really an addict or not, that people go through when they're trying to decide, well, I don't know if I should you know, stop, that's not really the question to me. The question is, if I stop doing this, will I be able to deal with my problems better? And it's really hard to imagine (laughs) someone saying no to that. No, you know, drinking really helps me with my problems. Just clarifies everything. And it really allows me to open up and have my feelings and relate to people. You know, I have that great social life at the bar. There's that place on San Pablo? Hotsi totzy room, is it? I, I, so many times when I'm on the way way back from Spirit Rock, after teaching, I go by there, and it, how many people have ever seen that place? You know? Yeah. Wow. How many people have ever been in that place? Ooh. I never made it, you know, because when I came to Berkeley, I was already sober. But yeah, I mean, it's just—it is the bleakest thing in the world. It's—it's just—it's like a, a, a bunker. <laughs> that they sat down it 's just this like square like building with just like it 's just a bar i mean it 's just a bar <laughs> there 's nothing you know there 's no excuse it's just a bar, and then, in the parking lot they 've got the taco truck, you know <laughs> and I just can really so relate, it 's like two o 'clock in the morning, oh man, I need a couple of tacos you know <laughs> to absorb the alcohol, you know, I'm you eat a couple of those, and then you barf back by the dumpster,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, and then you're ready for a couple of lines, and maybe get a six-pack and go home and watch TV until 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I mean, that's the life. <laughs> ah, but where was I?
2: <laughs>
0: Solving problems at the Hatsi <laughs> You know, that old image of the bartender as the guy who's going to listen to your problems, you know? Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people solved them that way.
1: Yeah.
0: So, so keep coming back. It works if you work it. You know, it works if you work it. I, you know, I'm not even sure you have to work it. Um, I, 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 I was talking about uh, practice this week with the, with the class on Tuesday night here, and uh, again, the, uh, so much of the struggle I, I see for people in their early practice is to do it right and to feel they're doing it wrong. I, I just want to tell people, like, don't even try, don't even worry about that. And I was saying that if you simply sit still with your eyes closed and stay awake for 20 minutes a day or twice a day, you will be really helping yourself. That if you, if that's all you do for one thing, because you will not be looking at a screen (laughs) and there are a lot of screens to look at these days, you know, and you won't be driving a car hopefully <laughs> you won't be interacting with anybody you'll just be with yourself and yeah stuff might come up and it might be uncomfortable and all that but it's the the result is going to be beneficial and then you know if you can you know if you learn a meditation technique and you try to apply that great but just don't take that on as a burden I'm supposed to do it this way. Oh, I was doing loving kindness, and then I got mad at myself. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to follow my breath, and then I started thinking about sex. Oh no! You know, who cares? You know, it's amazing that actually just closing your eyes and sitting still has a beneficial effect, and and that may be all that we're actually doing. I've, I've got this theory that all the meditation practices are just Tricks to get you to sit there with your eyes closed and do nothing. That that's what re- how the practice really works. That all the rest of it is just window dressing. Don't know. But uh, that's kind of all I do. I have to admit. I mean, I have it. You know, if you want to like, if I wanted to judge my practice, I'd be like, uh, I'd have a terrible practice. You know. Uh, But, since I don't judge it, I don't have a terrible practice. (laughs) I have a great practice.
2: (laughs) It feels good.
0: So, you know, I wrote down, uh, my entire outline for my talk was just like, I wrote it down in about 60 seconds when all the ideas came to me. And there's like, Eight things here, and probably half of them are the same thing. I'm not sure, so I'm going to kind of talk about them um, showing up. I mean, I think showing up is a lot a lot of what I'm talking about, but there's something about showing up there's kind of this idea that was so key for my recovery. Keep coming back and show and show up right and that and it was about um whether i feel like it or not show up and this is one of the things i say to people about meditation if you wait until you feel like meditating to meditate you're probably going to be waiting a long time and you'll also be meditating at the wrong time because you should be meditating when you don't feel like meditating but showing up was something i just i didn't get that until i got sober it was I thought you were supposed to do what you felt like doing. Um, you know, I kind of came of age in the 60s, and that was kind of what we did, right? Do your own thing and whatever. I don't even remember the slogans, but basically, what I got was you're just supposed to do what you feel, you know. And that was groovy, you know,
1: <laughs>
0: until it wasn't, or until I had to actually, you know, function in the world. So showing up was just, uh, like, a revolutionary idea for me. And, the, and then there's this emotional parallel to that, which is showing up for my emotions, being present with my emotions. So you can see showing up is kind of what we're doing when we're meditating. We're just trying to show up in this moment. But showing up for saying that um, it's okay to be feeling this, that this doesn't have to be changed, or fixed, Uh, that's like showing up to me. It's because if I can't deal with what I'm feeling and I decide I need to drink or use over it, it's because I can't be here for that. I can't show up for my life. I can't show up for my emotions. And uh, uh, even Woody Allen supports this. He says something like showing up is 90% of life. Uh, and God knows Woody Allen is a font of wisdom, so. And that might be just something somebody put on the internet. He maybe never said it. It's always good to have somebody to quote. It's better to have Einstein, though, than Woody Allen, so. Einstein said that showing up is 90% (laughs) right. See how much more you believe that? That's just, yeah. Okay, I think I broke, just broke a precept, but uh, <laughs> I'll have to forgive me for that. So showing up continuity, again, sort of the same theme, but continuity is another thing that uh, when you... This is one of the reasons why we count how many days and years we've been in recovery, because there's a power in sticking with something over time uh, with continuity. There's a power in sticking with meditation over time. Absolutely, in, on meditation retreats, one of the things that the teachers often suggest is try to maintain continuous mindfulness. There's a wonderful sutta in the in the uh, I might even have it. Did I have it? Uh, yes, in the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the foundation sutta of um, of uh, the Theravada tradition. Um this is, the, this is just about the very end of the sutta. patana uh, means the foundations of mindfulness. So that's uh, when he's, he talks about the four foundations of mindfulness, which are the kind of ways to be mindful or realms of, uh, of experience that you can be mindful of. So the Buddha says at the end of this, Monks, if anyone should develop these four Satyapathanas in such a way for seven years... One of two fruits could be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-returning. So these are uh, stages of enlightenment. So he's saying, if you, can just be, if you can be mindful continuously, if you can maintain your mindful continuity for seven years, you'll be enlightened. Well, you hear that, you go, well, come on. I mean. <laughs> but wait. Then he says, let alone... Six years? Five years? Four years? Do I hear three years? Two years? One year? Seven months? Six months? Five months? Four months? Three months? Two months? One month? Half a month? If anyone should develop these four Satipatthanas in such a way for seven days, One of two fruits could be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there's a trace of clinging left, non-returning. So this is a really good reason to maintain continuity, because if you you can be mindful for seven days straight, you can be enlightened. It doesn't seem impossible, (coughs) unless you've ever tried to meditate. (laughs) then it seems a little more difficult. If he said seven breaths, well, anyway, maybe seven breaths. He might have, maybe somebody, you know, we don't know. Somebody might have edited this. This is 2,500 years old. You know, <laughs> it could be. I, I'm really going for the, I'm going to say this, seven minutes. That's what I'm going to, that's, that's what I'm going to stick with because, okay. Continuity, so continuity of recovery, continuity of practice. One of the uh, moments uh, that was distinct for me in my recovery at two years, around two years, I, I remember waking up one morning and re- realizing that I remembered going to bed the night before. And that for two years now, I had remembered going to bed the night before, every day. That there were no breaks in my consciousness other than just normal sleep. And how much, how coherent that felt, how my mind felt kind of uh, like there was wisdom just in that. Another of my theories, I'm full of them, or full of it, depending upon which you, is that uh, intoxication, is traumatic. And that every time we get intoxicated, we, we break our consciousness in a way that we have to start to rebuild it, in a way, and kind of put it back together. And, and I see wisdom as being something... Wisdom develops with the combination of awareness sustained over time. And that's why elders who've been paying attention are supposed to have wisdom, although our culture doesn't really recognize that very much anymore. But that's the traditional view. Wisdom comes with age, but of course it doesn't come with age. It comes with sustained attention. And if you sustain your attention until you're into your old age, then you will have more wisdom than a young person who doesn't have much experience. So um, the continuity of, of clarity of mind uh, is is how, where wisdom comes from. That's why old timers have so much wisdom, sometimes. Now, <laughs> so finally, and this is uh, again kind of ties in with all of this, but uh, keep coming back. Also implies commitment. Commitment is what I. Uh, I think the third step is largely about when we say we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I really don't have a problem with that word. but um, We're making a commitment to something. We're making this decision to, to follow this path. To, no matter what happens, we're going to keep coming back to it. So there's a beautiful piece from Suzuki Roshi in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. He says, uh, he's talking about the, the bodhisattva, sort of the, someone who's on the path of awakening. The bodhisattva's way is called the single-minded way, or one railway track thousands of miles long. The railway track is always the same. If it were to become wider or narrower it would be disastrous. Wherever you go the railway track is always the same. That is the Bodhisattva's way. So even if the Sun were to rise from the West the Bodhisattva has only one way. His way is in each moment to express his nature and his sincerity. So I love that line. Even if the sun were to rise from the west, the bodhisattva has only one way. And that to me is the the same commitment of recovery, that we have only one way. There's no turning back. There's no veering off. Uh, We are committed to our path. no matter what happens along the way, you know we don't drink and use no matter what, we say. You know. If your ass falls off, you don't drink. You know. I know, that was one of the colorful expressions I've heard. I've never been quite able to visualize it completely, but it's probably best that I don't. Better to say if the sun rises in the West, it's a little <laughs> a, a poetic. But this... Uh, a commitment. Um, a, it's that, that statement that uh, you got through today, that today was a success just because you didn't use, right? That, that you know, it doesn't matter how you screwed up, that you didn't, and if you didn't drink and use, it was a successful day. And, and even if you did, keep coming back. I think that's it's just uh, there's a lot of love in that statement so I thank you for your attention and uh, we have a little time left if there are any thoughts uh, modifications corrections questions that anyone has I'd love to hear them maybe we could use the uh microphone for this since this is being recorded and uh, it's always good if people can hear what the question was. Yes, would you mind? uh, Oh, thanks, Max. Make sure that's on. Yeah, it's on.
2: Come in a meeting. I'm supposed to say my name and what I am. That's closer.
0: Is it on? Well, it's it's sort of sort of on. Get really close to it. (laughs) Pretend it's ice cream. (laughs) No, now it sounds like it went off. (laughs) Both those switches should be. Well, in any case, go ahead and ask away. we'll... Well, my
2: name's Trudy. Hi, Trudy. I've done all kinds of shit.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's best we didn't record that after all. <laughs> like so. There you go. <laughs> no, all
2: right. Yeah. yeah. So
0: it's not so much that I have a question, it's that I have a soapbox for a moment. Oh boy.
2: And I just want to say out loud, because I never say it in a meeting and it really pisses me off when meetings end with God, oh, God the Father, whatever that thing is. <laughs> Potter Nostrum. Excuse me? Potter
0: Nostrum. The The Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer. Bless everybody's heart,
2: but I'm a Jew, uh-huh. and I'm a Buddhist, and I really try to just live and let live. And somebody, this Jewish guy I know who's also a Jew, said, you know, I kind of let go of it. I just say it now, mm-hmm. you know, blah blah blah. And it's like I choke on it, mm-hmm. and we're as an or, as a society. And I know we're not here doing AA, but as a and as a society, since many of us have attended twelve step meetings, it's supposed to be non-denominational. And so I just want to put it out there that I have trouble at the end of a meeting. All of a sudden, it's like. Okay, so now I'm going to have a resentment? Mm, but, yeah. You know, I don't have much, <laughs> anyway. Um, and well, trying I, to just, I know other people who go to meetings and they like mouth off about somebody to- talking about them and that freaks them out. It's like, I get it, okay. Yeah. Um, but somehow it feels like it's, it's the holy cow. Mm-hmm. That,
0: so anyway, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I promise we won't say it's the back. Lord's Prayer. Yes. <laughs> I promise we won't <laughs> say the Lord's Prayer at the end of it, it this helps, gathering. And it's it's got some yeah, it, it is. I, yeah, i I've, I've had to translate it for myself. Into a, it's it's got some good stuff in it about surrender and. Um, yeah, Jack. Yes. I I I understand what you're saying. Um, several years ago, I read um, Emmett Fox's book, Sermon on the Mount. Hmm really gets kind of to the root of that whole thing, and it just really helped me a lot. Hmm. And it really kind of translated it for me, because I got a pretty, you know, I went to Catholic school, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, they even say it the Protestant way at, at meetings, and I was raised Catholic, too, and it was always like, oh, they're saying this wrong.
2: So, <laughs> don't they know?
0: No, it's always something.
1: <laughs> yeah, hi. Hi. Um, I understood you to say at one point that you Uh-oh. weren't sure that we needed
0: to work a program. Oh, did I? Really? <laughs> when, tonight? Tonight. Really? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Things come out of my mouth. I don't know, I don't know where they come from. Disagree with you. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm coming hmm. from a place of um,
1: oh. Recovery in one of the codependency recovery programs, mm. and what I see so often are people who come to meetings and don't ever do the steps. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, they last generally a year, maybe two. You know, if they're super committed, three or four. But they don't get any better. Yeah. Um, and for me, you know, and I've heard it said, and I love this quote, is that um, going to 12-step meetings without doing the steps is a little like sitting in an airplane hangar and thinking you're learning how to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's the, going through the steps is a critical part of, mm-hmm. of getting to a place where I don't need to this program anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, I wouldn't, if there are any people in the room who are new or nearly new and heard what I heard, <laughs> I'd, like to I'd have to rewind it. I, I, I didn't know that I said it. I didn't if I said that. And that's a strange way to put it. But, um, well, it's an interesting question. I mean, I I, um, I do think that. Uh, there are stages of recovery and that I was talking uh, to a a dear friend um, who's got decades of sobriety yesterday about about this about how um, the needs of people at different stages of recovery are different I think and that um, people early in recovery usually need a lot of guidance and they, they need to not not make it's really helpful for them to follow other people's suggestions oftentimes because they've got a bad decision-making ability. Um, And it seems that there are sometimes sponsors who want to maintain, keep people in that role even when they've developed, when they've actually Worked the program and gotten, uh, you know, really going through some changes and growth, but um, but there's this kind of idea that. Uh, um, well, I, I, I don't. Let me put it another way. What I think needs to happen, to me, for recovery to be meaningful. Is for the steps. If you're working the steps, and 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 I will just note that I don't believe that everybody has to work the twelve steps in order to um, deal with an addiction. I think there some people find other ways, and I have to respect that. But if you're if you're in a twelve step program, I think that for me, for it to be meaningful, at some point, it stops being working the steps, and it starts being living the steps and that you you start to embody the steps rather than specifically um, doing some sort of mechanistic process Uh, because in a way it can be like you're working somebody else's program you know you're working your sponsor's program or bill wilson's program or and I was talking to someone this, uh, someone this afternoon about this. It was, she was saying, and she's like been 10 years in a food program. And she said, you know what, um, and we, I've been just working with her more around meditation. But she said, well, I just wanted to ask you about, do you have any suggestions about working the steps? Or maybe is there something I should do working the steps? And I went over with her all the ways that I thought she was already working the steps. First of all, you're, you're working really hard on your 11th step. Um, and the things you've described in terms of the process you're dealing with your emotions it sounds like you're really doing internal inventory process you're really examining stuff in yourself I don't think you have to write stuff down for it to be meaningful Um, if you're processing it in various ways. You know, and it's and I said, you know, and it sounds like you're letting go of a lot of stuff the way she was talking about it. So it sounds like you're working four through seven in a way. And the fact that you're committed in this way, that you're working this hard, shows that you're really turning it over. So it seems like you're working step three. And the fact that you're not acting on your addiction means that you're working step one. So you're working the program as far as I can see. That, that's that's living the program, and and the idea that that what we're trying to do with the steps is become people who are express that, who become someone who is uh, honest with themselves, become someone who is pursuing a spiritual path, become someone who's ready to admit our failings. Then. That's that's to me really living the program rather than I'm going to go and write down some other inventory or uh, uh, so that's that's how I view the program now. But I also I mean I think that's a pretty I think that's a pretty uh, good view. But I'm not. You know, an expert on the steps, and I and I don't. I I I think I'm. My expertise is connecting the steps with with um, with Buddhism, or connecting. <coughs> so um, I'm sure other people have other views about how the steps should be worked, and I know some people believe you know that there are very strict ways to do it, and and I have to respect that too. Um, What's important to, to me is, you know, is, our, is your life working? Is my life working? Are we happy? You know, and, and then, uh, then something must be working if, if things are, you know, making sense in our lives. Okay. Well, um, I think we can just do a closing, a little closing uh, meditation. Do a little loving kindness. Close. <coughs> I should remind you, if you're new here, that um, the. Uh, the way the teachers here, including myself, are supported financially uh, is through your donations. Uh, so anything you paid to get in doesn't go to me. So uh, there's a basket out there. If you uh, want to practice what we call dhana or generosity, that will be of great uh, benefit to both of us, I hope. So, so just settling back for a moment. closing your eyes, and again, checking in with yourself. You might just be able to reflect back to the beginning of the evening and see if you feel differently now. Hopefully being here and doing some practice, sharing the evening with others on a similar path. It has a calming and inspiring effect. And we can just offer loving-kindness to each other. Realizing that each of us had the intention to come here tonight for our own reasons, but probably very similar. (coughs) So even if you don't know a lot of other people here, to see that you really share something profound with them and that we're very fortunate to have found each other who have been able to spend some time together in a world that probably isn't so in tune with our values and our goals We talk about taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma And the sangha. The sangha is the community. We take refuge in the fellowship in our 12-step programs as well. So may we all be happy. May we all be peaceful. May we be safe. Any kind of harm, inner or outer. May we share that love and compassion with all beings. May all beings be happy, be peaceful, be safe. May our efforts in recovery and on our spiritual path be of benefit to all beings. May it radiate out from our hearts and touch all beings. And may all beings be free from suffering. Thank you very much for coming tonight. And um, again, I invite you to join the Practice of Recovery class this Tuesday. And I will be back here again the second Friday of February. Hope to see you then as well. Travel safely.